The Ringer Gambling Feed is your one-stop shop for all things betting throughout the NFL season from week one all the way through Super Bowl 58 in Las Vegas. We have you covered every which way. We got our favorite futures. We got props. We'll discuss the lines. And of course, we'll throw in a few parlays. That's a given. So whether you're a sharp or a square better, we'll be breaking it down in terms hopefully everybody can understand and we'll try to win some money along the way. So be sure to subscribe to the Ringer Gambling Feed on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Ringer's Philly Special presented by FanDuel. The playoff action is heating up And with FanDuel, you can bet on everything from the NBA Finals MVP to who's going to lift the Stanley Cup. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the pulse and get paid instantly when you win. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Welcome to the Ringers Philly special. Shiel Kapadia here, joined by my friend, the regular Sean Syed of Sumer Sports. Yes, we're going to talk a little bit about that Eagles-Jets loss. We'll get into that, what the issues were, but this is, this is a spin it forward type week. We got Sunday night football. We got Eagles-Dolphins. We have the man who literally wrote this big thing called the Book of Fangio, which he told us on this podcast, actually landed him the job. So, Sean, I mean, who better to talk to? Like, no one else has the, has you as a guest, somebody who actually wrote something called the Book of Fangio, and the Eagles are now playing Vic Fangio, plus all the Mike McDaniel stuff you've been nerding out about. I said before we came on, I'm just going to kind of sit back. You might see me off camera. I might go get a drink and just be listening. I mean, you're taking, you take control of most shows, uh, as you should, but, I mean, this one especially, you got to carry me. Chill, you're always, always just too kind. You know, it's funny. It feels like a sp- I really spent a lot of time studying a lot of that stuff. So it's not things that like help me with my taxes or help me solve any of my problems. I just got all these, these random words just stuck in my head floating around at night. So, you know, hopefully, hopefully it causes some good in this world. Absolutely. I mean, that other stuff, you got to, you got to have a go-to person for some of that stuff. You know, uh, cousin, shout out cousin Jay. He handles all the taxes. For the Capadia family, uh, shout out my guy Edwin. You know, if we need something hung up around the house or whatever, he comes over. Very nice to the girls. They get excited when Edwin Uncle comes over. These are the tips I, I need to give you. You know, you don't need to be necessarily a well-rounded individual. 
you, you need to find those people in your life who, who can help you out. Now, do you do, are you good around the house? Like, can you, you know, could you fix a little <laughs> thing here and there or no? Sure. I, I mean, I will, I'm really good at looking things up on YouTube. Like I know how to like direct my search into a problem that I have. I see you shaking your head. No, a little bit there. Like, no, I, I like have this. no chance. Like when people are like, you, you can look anything up on YouTube. It's easy now. I'm like, you don't know me. No, no chance. <laughs> but hey, I, I try my best. But you know, as you said, you, there are people in this world that are better than me at a lot of different things. Yeah. And you know, let's, let's give them some shine too. I love that you shouted out all the uncles. That's that capadia kindness. Yeah, you, know, you got all these nice listeners who just say all these nice things. I don't know. It's like, is it something about you? Because I feel like for me, I think I'm more of an acquired taste. Like I, I would understand <laughs> if someone was like, you know, Sean, not fully my tempo, but you know, you can't say that about Mr. Philly special over here. I disagree. The reviews have come in uh, last week. I mean, people just loved getting inside you. They like the X's and O's. They like the analysis, but they like the uh, the nonsense too with Sean. So we'll be sure to continue to mix that stuff in. All right, let's get to some of this. Let's start with this Jets game uh, and we'll do a little recap of what happened there again, and then we'll spin it forward to this matchup against the Dolphins. But let's start with the Eagles offense because that has been the story uh, among Eagles fans, whenever I do a radio hit or people are casually texting or talking about this team, it's mostly been about the offense through the first six weeks. Does Jalen Hurts look like the same guy? Does the offense look the same as last year? If not, why not? Something feels a little bit off here. So the big thing in that Jets game, I mean, they turned the football over four times in that game. I, I said during our post-game pod, teams that have turned the football over or are minus four in turnovers, one in 28 in the last three seasons. You almost have no chance to win those games. So I wanted to look uh, at those turnovers one by one. First one is an interception. Uh, you know, they, they set up a screen to Dallas Goddard. Seems like a great call against that pressure. Jermaine Johnson, in my opinion, maybe the best play I've seen a defensive player make against the Eagles all season long. I mean, that was an awesome play by Jermaine Johnson. He gets there, reads the screen, breaks it up, and then Quinn and Williams is there for the interception. That is not one that I would think that like Nick Sirianni on a, you know, Monday or Tuesday film is like, here's X, Y, and Z. We need to execute better. I hate that those, I usually hate that those guys get paid to thing, but that to me was that those guys get paid to uh, turnover. What, what did you see on that play? Yeah, sure. I love the, those guys get paid to of because course they you do, do deserve credit. I thought it was <laughs> such a perfect, perfect screen call for the Eagles. They have Goddard sneaking around right into that pressure look. Blockers are set up. And as you said, Jermaine Johnson did an awesome job. He's the one dropper there. He gets his eyes right to Goddard. He chases it down. Go make a play. It was also just such a freaky bounce of the ball where it yes. lands just right in another defender's hands. But yeah, good call on offense. Really, really great individual play. And you know, as much as we make, we want to try and make the game science, there's just so much uncontrollable bouncing of that oddly shaped object that we call a football on these games. Yeah, I mean, I, I, we, we did so many pods in the summer and in the offseason, and so many of the questions were like, where is this team going to be different than last year? And it's such like boring analysis most of the time, but all those luck factors, it's like, you know, you can't predict exactly which way they're going to go, but you can say, hey, they were really lucky in X, Y, and Z last year, whether it was health, whether it was uh, uh, turnovers whether it was red zone stuff. Now, listen, some of that is skill. There's no doubt about it. But some of that absolutely is luck. And I think a lot of the analysis that's happening with the Eagles this year, 
like it would be very boring if we just came on for five minutes and we're like, you know, all that stuff that kind of went their way last year, it's not going their way this year and there's nothing they can do about it. That's boring analysis. That's not why people tune in. I do think that's a factor in sort of what's happening so far for the Eagles. All right. So that's the first turnover. Second turnover, again, I don't know that there's a whole lot of analysis on this one. DeAndre Swift, uh, nice job by the defense to get the ball out. They strip him. He fumbles. Kind of happens from time to time. Anything else there that you saw? Yeah, I thought another nice call for the offense. I thought throughout the day, Brian Johnson actually did a pretty good job using DeAndre Swift out of the backfield. First, they would go quick to the flat. And then on those inbreakers as well, where he would end up matched up on a linebacker in kind of that no cover zone area in the somewhere around three to five yards from the line of scrimmage where the defense in their zone coverage, they're not really attacking that space because they need to figure out how they distribute routes. And, you know, Swift gets squared up by a linebacker. It's just like a sick left-handed punch from the linebacker. I think it was Mosley as he's like falling down. I feel like we see more of those punch outs across the league. Uh, I don't have a good answer for that. Maybe like in during training camp because they can't tackle. Those guys are getting so many reps of punching it out. It just feels like people will be flipping over themselves and able to do it. So maybe, maybe that's just just something but also wouldn't be surprised if that theory was fully nonsense i love a good punch i love a good punch out you know it's one of the joys of uh watching football swift i will say that was a bad play but man he continues to impress me in pretty much all aspects of it like i'm generally skeptical every august you read the third you will find 32 stories about how each team they're going to throw the football to the running back more uh this year. I mean it's a big thing in like, you know, in fantasy, oh, this guy's going to get more catches. He's going and it's almost always false. DeAndre Swift to me looks really good as a receiver. I mean, like you said, you can use him uh on wide like he's split out uh on screens. We've seen them try him one-on-one against linebackers when uh you go empty, he's looked good there. Uh they've just used him in a variety of ways and he just is like a really good football player. I mean, that touchdown pass he had, I don't even know if I had that on here for us to uh talk about, but that was like an impressive play. The ball is behind him. He catches it, he fights through contact and he gets through to the end zone uh to score there. So uh Swift continues to impress me. Yeah, that play and the, that touchdown was so much fun. So there's just different ways to call that play. I know it as a concept called arches that the Shanahan McVay tree likes to use that. I think it's a shout out to St. Louis, the St. Louis Rams. They would run it under Mike Martz where on that play, I think it was AJ Brown runs in motion on what they would call an eliminator route. So it's really just the shallow cross, but he's more or less eliminating himself. And he just wants to pull those linebackers over, take their eyes, get them to feel him in that space. And then the Eagles had Dallas Goddard on a vertical route to take care of the safety and the cornerback in that situation. And at that point, it's just DeAndre Swift in space. And that's been something that just been really, really happy to see. He runs that angle route there. An inbreaker, the throw, not the best throw in the world. But yeah, as you said, just the ability to turn and catch like that, where you're hoping that fumble issues just aren't a thing for him because he is really good. Obviously, not the best day for the Eagles on the ground with their running backs, but I really have enjoyed seeing Brian Johnson take advantage of him as a weapon in the past game, even on, as you said, those little RPOs where, yeah, we can get the ball to a real playmaker there. It makes the whole entire offense a little bit more dynamic. 
Yeah, Hertz was getting hit on that uh, on that throw too against uh, it, with the touchdown throw to Swift, which I don't think they showed on the TV copy. You're just like, oh, he threw it behind him. Uh, I, I think it was Driscoll who got beat there, but yeah, he was getting hit. And you're right, good adjustment by Swift. Now you go angle route over Texas route. I thought you would be like a Texas. Are, are they? They're not different, right? They, those are used synonymously, or am I wrong about that? Yeah. Okay. So one, of course, Sheila. I always say, you know, I don't know everything, and I will also say the biggest, I disagree. Like. like <laughs> Football terminology is the absolute worst. It is so bad. Like you can say one th- to me, the most important thing is like you can call something potato chips. If you can explain, hey, potato chips means when the receiver does this, that I think is okay to communicate. So the way that I know Texas, I know Texas as a concept where it's like a vertical, maybe like a post route or something. And that is kind of helping you on the angle route. And the problem with with a lot of these routes are sometimes they're choice routes where they can break in, they can break out. So I I always try and say like as little as I can because to me like yeah we're we're speculating about so much. I mean every word out of my mouth is is largely speculation in this on this (laughs) podcast and in other parts of my life. But yeah, to me I like saying okay that is definitely an angle route where I like the concept arches there because Texas yeah maybe a little bit different but. She'll, no one no one's gonna blame me out there for calling it texas i don't think i'm sure a lot of people will also call it that but you know just being finicky for no reason on this one listen i just go with whichever one makes me sound better and whichever one sounds cooler you are teaching me about x's and o's i'm trying to teach you about content here okay it's more <laughs> fun to say uh texas route than angle route uh on the podcast you know, we'll work on it. You know, get you. You brought it last I mean, with the MDA. You were bringing it last week. Just remember that. That's what the people want. That's what the people like. All right, that was the second turnover. We got sidetracked with the Swift conversation there, but I think it was worth having. Third interception. Uh, third turnover. Okay, so this one is in the fourth quarter. Jalen Hurts' arm gets hit. Uh, Jack Driscoll gets beat on the play. What did you see there? Did the Eagles kind of have a chance at a big play? And I know, I think there was some conversation even during the broadcast. Could Hertz have gotten rid of that football a tick sooner? Or do we more say, you know what, that's a tough one. The right tackle gets beat and he probably didn't have a chance at it. Yeah, on that one, the Jets are playing quarter, quarter, half. And then the half field defender ends up occupied by A.J. Brown, which that is what allows Devontae Smith to have all that space to run into. I don't necessarily fault Hertz for wanting that big play, especially because it is there. I do think that underneath throw is also pretty wide open. But unfortunately, you know, those deeper routes, they're going to take time to develop. So to me, it was, you know, it was an unfortunate combination of longer play that was developing. And then now this pass rush is really ba- bearing down. Just one that it's just a, such a bummer to see. And I do think kind of after this one is when Hertz really started to there were one or two plays where I felt maybe his eyes were in places that I didn't love, but this was a big one that I think turned it around where they were feeling pressure all game, but it started to impact some of those throw decisions as well. No doubt. I thought that like through three quarters, I had all these notes and and we'll get to these in a minute where I'm like, Jalen Hurts is playing pretty well in this game. Like this is, you know, looking at all the games he's played so far this season, I wasn't like, man, He's struggling here. I'm like, there's a lot of stuff out of his control. Then kind of as the game went on, and maybe you're right, after this play, that does seem like it might have been a little bit uh, of a turning point. It's where I was like, okay, now Hertz is struggling a little bit, and it's fair to pin some of the blame on him, which brings us to our fourth turnover. Interception late in the fourth quarter, one of the... I don't know. I don't know what the word is to use. Like I I would say out of character, one one of the most out of character plays, I think, for Jalen Hurts over the last 
two years where it's like, this is the one thing you can't do here. You can take a sack, you can scramble for, you know, two yards. And like there are basically every other outcome, as long as you don't turn the football over, you have a really good chance to win the game. He turns the football over. Uh, I'm sure people have seen the replay by now of that. The safety, Tony Adams, is kind of threatening pressure there, uh, I think, in the B gap. And then he drops back in zone. He's the one who ends up making the interception. What did you see there? You know, I, I like you said, it's always hard getting in the quarterback's head. And Jalen Hurts is not often going to give us all the details of what he was seeing, what he was thinking. What's your best guess at kind of what happened on that play? The Jets ran a similar look as that interception earlier in the drive. So they're getting into their 5-0 look where they have two linebackers walked up. So they have kind of five guys on the line at least that we've talked about a few times messes with the protection on the offensive side. And the first time that safety blitzed off the edge. Then on the interception, as you said, that safety drops out. So it could have been a case where where Hertz is looking, where he's feeling the defense. He thinks, okay, this is maybe the same pressure. And Obviously, yeah, there are just unfortunately times where you just don't don't see it as well as you would like. On that one, which really what bugged me was AJ Brown is one on one on the outside, and I think he's the second part of the read there where it's a pick aside and he's a bit deeper. And yeah, he's one on one. So if you can just progress off of that, get get to your stud, and they were happy to do that for most of the game. As you said, I yeah. agree. Three three quarters of really really solid play, and one quarter that I think after watching all these games, I would agree that I would call it uncharacteristic. So I think it's something that hopefully you can just flush away because yeah, he, he was taking those shots to AJ Brown on the outside multiple times. And I think, you know, maybe it's that pressure that adds on a little bit. And we take, we really do, or I do take for granted how important it is and how helpful it is to have an offensive line that is just so solid at every spot. And then as you start to kind of pick at that, then there's like a waterfall effect of negative things that we saw. Yeah. It's a good point because on one hand, you can say, well, give me a break. Most quarterbacks are dealing with, you know, pressure sort of like Jalen Hurts dealt in the, with in this game. Like, that's not that out of the norm. You know, not everybody has this offensive line. But I think your point is a good one, is that when you get used to playing a certain way week in and week out because the offensive line is so good. And by the way, even when backups have come in in the past, like, it's still been, they've still been pretty competent. Like, usually, even Jack Driscoll, you know, Jack Driscoll's getting killed this week. Jack Driscoll has played like a lot of good football for the Eagles in terms of backup offensive linemen. He's been way more competent than not, whether he's played guard, whether he's played tackle, whether he's had a week to prepare, whether he's coming. Like, I mean, I don't have every Jack Driscoll game graded in my notes, but anecdotally, I think this is probably the worst game uh, of his career. And that's tough because he's getting killed for it and they lose the game. And so they it's a um, big deal. But um, yeah, I, I, I think when it goes from, hey, this is what I'm used to, to all of a sudden, man, we are getting kind of crushed up front here. It is going to affect the quarterback. Uh, and I think we definitely saw that in this game. So, all right, those were the turnovers. And then that last drive, uh, Sean, you know, they get the ball back. They've got time to score. They've got timeouts. As I said in the postgame pod, that's why you pay the quarterback $50 million is from uh, drives like that. And they just couldn't get a first down. You know, they, they throw the, um, he misses on, on the crosser to A.J. Brown on the one play. They have a short completion to Devontae Smith uh, on another play. And then all of a sudden you get to fourth down. Now on film, like I know there was some talk after the game. Hey, why they only needed eight yards? Why are they throwing this ball downfield? 
actually thought they really had a chance there. Like, I don't know if you, if you run that play 10 times over again, I think probably at least five of them, you're at least having a shot for a huge play, which by the way, you needed a touchdown there. Like you needed chunks. You didn't just need a first down. So uh, what did you see on that last play? The post to Devonte Smith, where it looked like if Jalen Hurts is able to get that ball out sooner, you actually really have a shot there at an explosive play. On that play, the Jets rotate from a two high safety look into a single high look. I don't really think the Jets at that point are expecting the Eagles to take a deep shot. And A.J. Brown threatens the safety. That's just that single high safety and then broke outside, which that partially gives Devontae Smith so much room to work up the field. I, I need that ball out earlier, Shield. I, I do yeah, think I that that maybe hurts is he's trying to buy a little bit of time because he is so good at that and has done that so much did that a lot in this game and is able to make plays on those sorts of situations. But yeah, to me, that's one where the further Smith gets down the field, the harder of a throw it is, the easier it is for the defense to catch up. That is a play that, yeah, I think that can be a game winning play. We saw that Devonte Smith doing a great job on that play against the Vikings where he kind of like jumps up and backwards and is able to make those sorts of catches. So Maybe just, but it's a weird situation. Yeah, fourth and eight and Brown is covered, but he was open. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't have anything other to say than yeah. he, he was he was definitely open. And I feel like, I mean, I've definitely been been pretty defensive of Hurts, but I think that if you asked him and he took the truth serum, he would say, yeah, that that that's a ball, a throw that he can make if that ball comes out earlier. At least that, that's a chance where I think Smith won on the first half of that route for sure. Yeah, I think those those were the two big plays. I think that last interception and that fourth down we're going through it. I'm like, all right, those are the two where, again, we don't know every single detail of every single play and what's going on. But I think we can say like, it's more likely than not that those are the two that Hertz would want back that could have potentially changed the outcome uh, of the game. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll talk a little bit more about this Jets game, and then we'll spin it forward to the Dolphins matchup. The NFL season is going strong and FanDuel wants to help you enjoy it even more with two great offers. Right now, new customers can bet $5 and get 200 in bonus bets guaranteed. Plus, all customers get a profit boost every day so you can boost your winnings even more. Let's see. What do I like in week seven? You know what I'm looking at? I'm looking at the Bills minus eight and a half against the Patriots. Mac Jones has been terrible as an underdog. Bills didn't play well Monday night. I still think they're a much better team. They've had their way with the Patriots in recent years. I like the Bills minus eight and a half at New England. You can choose that. You could go with something else. Now's the best time to join FanDuel. The app is easy to use and you can bet on everything from spreads to player props and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash Ringer Philly and get into the NFL action with offers you won't want to miss. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. 21 plus and present in select states. Bet $5, get $200 offer. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Daily profit boost token offer. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable profit boost token. Restrictions apply, including token expiration. See terms for both offers at sportsbook.fanduel.com. All right, we are back on the Ringers Philly Special. Shield Kapati here, joined by Sean Syed. All right, so that was, we went over the turnovers. We went over the last drive. Uh, I wanted to ask you just about the run game, you know, because I'm, 
Basically, here's what happens in Philadelphia, Sean. I'll give you a little, you know, I, I feel like I give you some like history lessons of Eagles fans throughout some of these. Whenever the Eagles have lost a game in my lifetime, I would say 100% of the time, somebody will come out and look at the amount of times they've run the football and the amount of times they've passed the football. And they will say, why didn't they just run the bleep and ball more? They, they could lose 72 to nothing. They could have no offensive line. They could have uh, me playing running back. And someone would still make the point, run the ball. You should have run the ball. Why didn't they run the ball? You got to run the ball there. And so this is, this is kind of the culture of uh, <laughs> Philadelphia Eagles fandom. And so me, being someone who's grown up with this, grew accustomed to any time someone would say that. And remember, I grew up during the Andy Reid years where Andy's throwing the ball all over the field and people are mad about it. And I'm like, no, 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 the nerds, the analytics people are telling me passing the football is good. You know, this is like 2002 or something. No, no, you got to pass the football more. He's ahead of the curve. So I'm on that side. So I bring a lot of baggage to this. And so now most of the time when people say run the ball, I say, no, you don't need to. Running the ball is not always the answer. However, I actually get it in this, for this game. So I'm not that stubborn. I will change my opinion. I mean, they come out and they throw the football uh, eight times in a row to start the game. And obviously, Jets are playing with two backup cornerbacks. I get the game plan. I just didn't think they needed to be so excessive. Now, you can look at the numbers. They only Their running backs had 14 carries for 33 yards. So you can say, Shio, what are you talking about? They weren't running the ball well. I did think there were opportunities to try it earlier to get to it more, to, uh, I, again, I can't believe I'm saying this, to commit to it more, just given the history you have as a running team and your scheme and your offensive line, the way DeAndre Swift has been playing. So um, what do you think uh, of uh, that argument that, hey, maybe they could have got to the run game a little bit more, but also uh, some of the issues they had not being able to run the football? Well, I mean, I need to see, see Shiel Kapadia, Eagles running back. I think that would be <laughs> Something absolutely fantastic there. But I do think you, you lose literally half of your offensive line, right? They're on their second right guard. They're on their second right tackle. And they really didn't, maybe they couldn't run to the right side there at all, I think, during that game. I probably wouldn't have that much either based on that defense was really, really good. Those linebackers are special, special linebackers yeah. and might be the best linebackers you see all year. I do think the Jets defense did a really good job their defensive ends, they were just insulted any time that the Eagles had a tight end blocking their player one-on-one. So the defensive ends were able to compress that space and they were just washing guys up front. It, it was yeah. tough. And then you get those linebacker run-throughs. On that first one in the red zone, the Eagles, they go unbalanced to the left. So they bring their right tackle and they move him over to left tackle. And that looks really good if it goes Mylotta johnson next to each other you're more than happy to have that but then you have your second right tackle and he gets beat and it's a tfl there's a the run through later on on that other first down red zone drive i do think that hertz had a pretty good job pretty good day on the ground it seems like when they get that rush front where those defensive tackles are spread out they just automatically go to quarterback draw so could they have run more i mean of course you could you can call more run plays but what they were doing it wasn't particularly successful at the same time, I think that their RPO game got a little bit more creative overall, the the passing scheme, whether it's how they use different motions or how they set things up in there with uh, Swift and Scott on the field at the same time. So I guess, I mean, I have no problem saying, hey, teams need to run the ball more. That's not something that offends me in any way at all. But <laughs> I, I You're a football do... guy. Yeah, you like that. 
<laughs> I do like the idea of having AJ Brown who just keeps on like I just keep hearing about these random records that I don't know about for the Eagles like first 125 yard yeah. game like five times or whatever like I want that situation against cornerbacks three and four over and over and over again and it, it was kind of a bummer like after that second touchdown the first thing I did was open up my phone and I'm like okay I'm committing to this I'm buying an Eagles dry fit. Chill. I know all you seen me wear is these dry fits. I'm like, I'm an emotional person. And now I've gotten too far into this. And that's when start, things started to go south. But I don't think you're going to face a Jets front every single week where obviously things do need to get worked out a bit up front. But the Jets linebackers were there, man. They were really able to take care of a lot of what the Eagles wanted to do on the ground. Yeah, they they had huge losses. Like, I mean, one was a loss of six. The other was a loss of seven. Like. Uh, what was it last week, the week before where you pointed out DeAndre Swift hadn't been tackled for a loss yet uh, this season? I jinxed well, it. it. I jinxed it. Yeah, chill. Yeah, it was, yeah. it was, so it was me. You. It was me. It's on you. There you go. There's the, we call it the Kapadia curse where whenever I do something like that, something bad uh, happens. So maybe we're, maybe I'm just, you know, we're passing it off uh, to you now that you're a regular part uh, of the show. So, you know, you make good points. I mean, yeah, Jack Driscoll um, got beat on the one that was, I think a six, seven yard loss. Uh, and then the other one, man, uh, I can't remember if it was mostly or Quincy Williams in the red zone, but that run through, I mean, fantastic play seven yard loss. So they were having a hard time with it. No doubt about it. All right. Let's talk about Jalen Hurts and the offense overall. So we're kind of taking a, you know, we touched on this earlier, but let's take a step back a little bit. Here are all the things I wrote down, Sean, in the first three quarters where I was like, you know what? These things aren't on Jalen Hurts. These are bad plays. And I don't think any of them are on the quarterback. So one, the interception to Goddard on the screen. You can credit the Jets defense, whatever. That's not like a, I'm not going into the room being like, that's a negative on Jalen Hurts. He didn't do anything wrong on that play. DeAndre Swift fumbles, not on Jalen Hurts. Two Devontae Smith drops, which it's kind of like jarring. I mean, the guy makes so many spectacular plays when he has like one bad game or something. You know, what, you know you're like, whoa, this is, this is weird. This never uh, happens. One of them, I mean, was a great play by Jalen Hurts where he steps up in the pocket and Devontae Smith is wide open in the middle of the field. Would have been a huge gain. Uh, and he drops the football there. So those are two plays. Another one, and, and I don't think I asked you about this one um, in our notes. I don't even know if you noticed it, but there was a play where A.J. Brown is running like a clear out route. And we've seen time and again over the last two years that Jalen Hurts will throw that bad boy if he thinks he can hit on a big play. A.J. Brown doesn't think the ball's coming his way. He's not running full speed. It looks like an overthrow on TV copy on Phil. I think I don't think it's an overthrow. I think A.J. Brown wasn't running full speed because he didn't think the ball was coming his way. I mean, that is like a potential touchdown. It's like a 40-yard play, not on Jalen Hurts. The two big tackles for loss in the red zone. Again, these are six and seven-yard losses. These aren't like one-yard losses, not on Jalen Hurts. He made a great play escaping the pocket, rolling to his right on a third down, fires one to Kenny Gainwell on the sideline, past the marker, drop, not on Jalen Hurts. Fourth quarter interception we just talked about. His arm gets hit because Jack Driscoll gets beat. He's waiting for a play to develop downfield. Not on Jalen Hurts. So uh, I am not like a, you know, the Jalen Hurts excuse maker. I think people have listened to this show enough to know. We just kind of try to call it uh, how we see it. So all those things were not in Jalen Hurts' control. If like half those things don't happen, Eagles are probably up by two scores, at least in the fourth quarter. And like, they're probably not even throwing that ball, honestly, uh, where he got intercepted because the game is so out of hand that they're probably saying, we'll just run it here and run the clock out. 
Now, having said that, he can't be excused for the interception and what we talked about uh, on the final possession. So those things are in his control, big spots. He did not play well. So that's kind of how I divide it with what I saw with Jalen Hurts and the offense. Uh, I'm curious what you think. And I know you also thought like, and this is why I love having you on, because you were just had a take that I hadn't heard anyone else say where you're like, I kind of thought this was like one of their best schemed up games uh, they've had since we started doing this podcast. So what do you think about all that? Yeah, I agree. I think that I agree. You said a lot of things there that I, <laughs> yeah. I guess I do agree with, <laughs> not just one thing. But yeah, this was probably the first time when I was watching the film and obviously aside from results and maybe just punt out that fourth quarter for a second where I was watching the plays and like like my eyebrows raised and I was like, oh, this is something cool. Maybe I can clip this one up. Right? Like that's that's just like it is just fun. So one of the examples was yeah. pony personnel. And when we talk about pony personnel, we're just talking about two running backs on the field at the same time. So the Eagles use DeAndre Swift and Boston Scott there. And there's a smaller set of plays that you can go to, but you have a real second running threat and really a third running threat for the Eagles. And your running back is just more athletic than a fullback. And then there was that third down. And I mean, I just keep mentioning that little like arrow RPO where they did a really good job setting it up this time where they send AJ Brown in orbit motion along the other way. And then he's behind Hertz. You got the run fake with Swift and then Scott is just darting out to the flat. It causes such an issue, just a conflict for one, the safeties have to rotate, the linebackers need to figure out what's going on. And that was a perfect example of a core concept that I love on paper. How do we take that core concept, dress it up, make it a little bit more fancy? We're running the same exact thing. It's just going to look a little bit different to the defense. And on that third down, it was just, I mean, it was easy money. It was a great completion. They get to keep it moving. And yeah, so that one... Just sorry, just yeah. Let, let I just wanted to clarify uh, on that one. Yeah, I think that was a third and two, and so I think AJ Brown's going in motion from the left uh, to the right. If we're talking about the offense, and like you said, Boston Scott and I think it was DeAndre Swift were both in the backfield, and so on that RPO, right? Jalen Hurts has three options: he can hand it off to Swift, he can run it himself, or like you said, Boston Scott's kind of darting out there uh, into the flat and he can throw it to him. And he ended up throwing it to him and he had room to run. I mean, it wasn't like they picked up three yards. That was like a 14 uh, yard gain there. So uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was, and I was thinking of you when I, uh, when I saw that some of the stuff you've been calling for in recent weeks, that was a, that was a very nice play. Uh, that was a change up there. So uh, yeah, just, just so in, in case, again, some, we, we got some listeners I'm talking about you, Daniz, who who like to go back and you know they'll they'll with a fine tooth comb go over uh, these plays based on your explanation. So I just wanted to give a little more on that one. All right, what what was some of the other stuff uh, you saw? I thought the wide receivers in the backfield and they had Dallas Goddard there once. That's a pretty fun thing where you the Rams have done it with Cooper Cup, the Bengals do it with Jamar Chase, the Vikings do it with Justin Jefferson. And first, you can't press someone that's lined up at running back, so you're getting a free release. And then most of the times you end up with your really skilled wide receiver matched up on a linebacker just because the way that things space out. And if you don't, you get a really good tell of likely man coverage. So you're not going to get a vertical threat there, or you're probably not going to hand it off when your best route runner is there on the Goddard swing. I like that they were, it looked like they were setting up a fake screen to the opposite direction. They're just trying to pull linebackers the other way. And there were a few times, I think, throughout the game where even on the RPO, where it just felt like there were more options before the snap. So if the defense lined up a certain way or they overloaded one side, the answer was a little bit clearer. But that wide receiver in the backfield stuff, 
it's it's just it's a fun little thing right where it's a nice wrinkle and actually on the one that Devonte smith ran the linebacker had really really good coverage how about uh, that he had like was, no was, separation there i mean he was all over him as soon as he caught the ball who i don't know if that was mostly uh or williams but i thought the same thing i'm like all right this is probably designed for Devonte smith to cook this guy like they got the exact matchup they want but yeah man they they're those linebackers were no joke in this game. And when they get there, uh, they will punish you. So yeah, that stood out to me as well. Yeah, absolutely agreed. I think that overall, I can hear, absolutely understand criticism. People want, hey, we need to be able to run the ball more and do different things there. But I think it's important to take away. The thing that I'm encouraged about is there's just variety in the offense in this week that I don't think we saw as much of early on. And you know, not all teams are able to do that. There's a lot of offensive coordinators where when you look at their production over a season, first half great, second half poor, as in the first eight weeks versus last eight weeks. And they're on week six, getting into week seven here where they're making these nice little adjustments that they can seem small, but they mean a lot for a defense when you have to now deal with this whole entire different personnel group. You have to deal with, it can be empty, but there's a running back on the field, but now Goddard's in the backfield. And I think as we go on, later through the games as we continue on through this crazy stretch for the Eagles there's going to yeah. be times where we can look at a play and then look back and be like you know what they set that up maybe in week six versus the Jets where the defense is now preparing for a certain look but the ball is going to go in the opposite direction yeah it, it's uh it's a good point between the the play in the red zone gets you a touchdown uh some of the things you mentioned with the RPOs the different personnel groupings Devontae Smith um, in the backfield, they they're definitely doing different things. They weren't just like, "Hey, let's do what we've been doing. It's working." You know, like not the old. I hate Sean when coaches say, "I don't know if I've I've gone on this rant with you before," but when coaches talk about we just need to execute better, uh, that drives me nuts. I'm like, you're j- literally the first line of your job description is to get the players to execute. If the players aren't executing. Guess what? That's what the money is for for you. So I now I, I I can allow some of your coach defending on this podcast. But if I ever hear you defend a coach who says his players need to execute better, I don't know. There's going to be after some kind of uh, uh, penalty or or fine or something for you. Shell, I think you know it's more that I just like to defend everyone. You know, a lawyer in a past <laughs> life just really just. Just defending everyone. And hey, you know, you it feels like you made a couple of they they just need to execute better when we were talking about the turnover. So mm, I don't know, Shiel. It feels true. like uh, we're talking about call out. all this out of our mouth, you know. <laughs> that's, that's, that's true. I'm allowed to say that. The coach cannot oh, okay, say that. Okay, sorry. Yeah, okay. you're right. Yeah, I forgot you're, you're the running back for the Eagles, not the, there is not a, the head listen, coach yet. Yeah. It, if nothing else, there's a double standard with me on most things. You know, as my <laughs> uh, as my dad uh, often did, do as I say, not as I do. I've taken that. I like that. That was a good line from him. And I'm going to go ahead and steal that as well. Okay, let's zoom out here. There's, I feel like there's the panic about the Eagles offense. And I do think, it's, I don't know if it, right, panic might be the, the, the wrong word. There's definite concern, I feel like, from Eagles fans about the Eagles offense. Here are some numbers for you because I, I think it's a little overstated the concern. I'm with everyone that it doesn't look as easy as last year. Guess what? I hate to break this news to you, Eagles fans. You could live to be 130 and you will probably never have another Eagles season where it looks like it did last year offensively, where it looks that easy, where you're sitting on your couch in the fourth quarter going, man, they're up by 30. This is great. Like, is this game over yet? What am I going to do after the game? It usually does not happen like that. That's why last year was such a special season. But overall, I mean, listen to these. They're sixth in EPA per drive, Sean. They're fifth in success rate. They're seventh in offensive DVOA. I mean, if you gauge the pulse of Eagles fans right now, 
and said like, where do you think they are? And I, they were, everybody would 13th, 14th, 17th. No one would think they are seventh, seventh in offensive DVOA. So uh, I was looking at success rate, which people know uh, that's a stat I like to look at when we don't have a large sample so far. It just tells you, was it a positive play or a negative play? With Jalen Hurts on the field last year, they had a success rate of 45.6%. With Jalen Hurts on the field this year, they have a success rate of 45.0%. I mean, it's literally almost identical. They're going three and out at the lowest rate of any offense in the NFL. So I just think like, I agree. It's not perfect. If you look at, listen, if you look at just the drop back passing game specifically, or just, you know, the, the passing game in general, I should say with Jalen Hurts, his, his success rate uh, is down. So I, I think it's not as good. I don't think it's a disaster. They're turning the ball over on 14% of their drives. It was 7.7% last year. It's almost double. That's a problem. The red zone offense we've talked about, not as successful this year as it was last year. That's a problem. A lot of the other stuff, I mean, I was even looking at like explosive plays and stuff. It's very similar to what it was uh, last year. So I do think a lot of this is turnovers and a lot of this is red zone. As I said at the top, there was always going to be some regression there. It's more than I thought it was going to be. I'll admit that. Uh, but let's give it a bigger sample and see where we are later in the season. I don't think it's bad as maybe some other people think. All right. Let's talk about it. We were like, should we do anything on the defense? And I was like, yeah, this is kind of a boring defensive uh, game here. You know, like we do, we just, I think the big thing really was just uh, injuries in this game. And it was like, wait, who's, who's playing where here? You know, it was first. Josh Job, then it was Eli Ricks, then it was back to Josh Job after Eli Ricks got injured. Uh, it was Bradley Roby at nickel, then he got injured. Reed Blankenship left the game uh, there. So uh, here's where we are with the uh, injury report here, Sean. Reed Blankenship did not practice on Wednesday. Bradley Roby did not practice uh, on Wednesday. Jalen Carter, Darius Slay, and Milton Williams were all limited participants. And the big one probably is that uh, Sidney Brown was a full participant. So just to kind of set the table uh, for this Dolphins game, I think Sidney Brown probably has a chance to start at safety with e either uh, Terrell Edmonds and then maybe Makai Gardner, who got a look there. If many of you are listening are probably like, who is that? Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, he, he was playing safety for the Eagles, surprisingly, in that game. And then uh, outside corner, if Darius Slay is able to go, obviously you're in good shape there with uh, Slay and Bradbury. And then we'll see what they do at nickel. They brought Josiah Scott back. I realize I'm, I'm just reeling off like 40, 14 different names. You're probably like, what is going on here? But that's just kind of an update uh, on where things are. I mean, they've just had so many injuries. They've been shuffling people in and out there. But from a scheme perspective, or uh, was there anything you saw on film that you wanted to touch on with the defense before we get to this Dolphins game? Yeah, just real quick, they used what Vic Fangio would call a 40 front, which that's their 6-1 look, where there's four down defensive linemen kind of tight and inside, and then edge defenders walked up with one linebacker there, and that inspired how the Patriots played against the Rams in that big famous Super Bowl, and it's used sometimes in short yardage. It can be like a zone run killer because you're preventing double teams, and we saw some of that penny front, which it's that's where they have five people up and then only one linebacker back which another way to deal with zone runs. So I like those because to me it showed Desai is saying, all right, well, I know that this is a zone heavy team. Let's get to the specific ways that we deal with zone. And you know, I like, I just love the defense so much. If like, I don't have children, but it feels like the defense is kind of 
like your favorite child where they could be eating grass and you're just totally cool with whatever's going on. And then the offense is like the super talented person that mm. you just feel like they're underachieving no matter what. So I don't know. Like I, I don't know. Is it like the defense is kind of like the Phillies? The offense is kind of like the Eagles. Is that is that like makes sense for for my little uh, Philadelphia touch there, Shiel? That that's interesting. Like I mean, the Phillies are still t- the Phillies are definitely uh, a lovable team that you know everybody has sort of fallen in love with. I don't like they are still. I, it's tough because the Eagles defense with the injuries, I'm kind of with you. It's like, man, they're, you know, I always talk about coaching is like doing more with less. And I do feel like they're kind of doing that with, with the injuries that they've had. So yeah, we'll, we'll workshop it. But I, I like, I mean, now I wouldn't just let my child eat grass. Just, just so you know, you know, like even if you really love the child, you gotta get that grass out of your mouth. What are you doing here? All right, let's get to this Dolphins game. Sean, we've got, I mean, again, you are, you, you have studied the Dolphins offense and the Dolphins defense. This Dolphins offense Last 10 years through six weeks, they have the highest success rate and the highest points per game, 37.2 points per game of any offense through six weeks in the last 10 seasons. They are first in DVOA. They are second in passing. They are first in rushing. We know the personnel, Tua, Tungavailoa at quarterback, Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, Raheem Mostert at running back. Um, they've just been torching teams left and right. So in your eyes, what makes this version specifically of the Dolphins offense so hard to defend? The Dolphins are really the only team in the league that can attack you at each level of the field, whether that's deep or intermediate or short, and also score a touchdown from every single blade of grass. Mike McDaniel, to me, you know, 1A in the league right now, he's really just supercharged the roots of the Shanahan system. And they use that fast out motion to the same side of the formation. And they can get to their whole entire offense out of that one motion. They'll run crack toss from it. They'll throw a screen. They'll run quick game to it. And then you have Tyreek Hill running down the field 30 yards on a dig. So really, no matter what you line up in on defense, you're at a disadvantage because you need to account for Tyreek Hill. You can't neglect Jalen Waddle. And then their outside toss run game has just been fantastic recently. And they have so much misdirection where it feels like, like a high school single wing team because you know, Tua's in that spin series. So if it's speed, speed is deployed in deadly ways. The flexibility that can respond to whatever the defense presents to you, all while they have their quarterback just staying in perfect, perfect rhythm. Sometimes it's just like point and shoot. There you go, 60-yard touchdown. Yeah, he d- he doesn't hesitate. I mean, that that is certainly uh, one big thing here. And listen, that can work in the defense's favor a little bit. When he's turned the football over, it's because he's just he, he tr- you could tell he just trusts it. Like he is not somebody who's hanging back there looking around. He's like, I know what I'm supposed to get. I'm going to see if I get it, and then I'm going to let it rip. And a lot of times that has led to a lot of success. There have been some instances this season where it's like, oh, okay, he turned the football over, or he gave the defense uh, a chance there. So a couple of the defenses that keep them. Some issues. I'm not going to say shut them down because I don't think uh, anybody's really shut them down. But the Bills and the Patriots, I would say, had more success than the other teams uh, so far here. What were some of the things they did in those games that you say, you know what, maybe if you're Sean Desai, you can steal a little thing here. You can steal a little thing there. You can employ a tactic, uh, a strategy to say, we're not going to shut this offense out, but here are some things that could actually give us some success against some of those issues uh, that they present that you just described. 
the Patriots ran a 3-3-5, three-high safety look, which if the Eagles want to try it out three safeties, that means that you're getting a call from Howie Roseman. That means they have to get me in there. That means we got to talk to Ace Producer Cliff's agent, see if we can get all three of us over there. Cliff's definitely the strong safety uh, among the three of us. Yeah, I'm not taking on that contact. The Patriots, they were unique because they were playing that really a college style of defense, but they were able to get downhill fast. So to me, they made Tua just beat them in quick game over and over. I don't think that that is what Desai is going to look to because, as I said, I don't think us three are going to be playing safety for our Eagles. The Bills game was really interesting because there wasn't some schematic breakthrough that they had. They just played the most gorgeous cover two where their corners really, really contested those in-breaking routes. They blitzed off the edges against some condensed formations. And I think they had a good understanding of when Tua was going to roll out or what formations were leading to certain play actions. And I mean, they really won that game by outpacing them on offense. But, you know, that that is, of course, a different thing. So I don't think you're ripping a page from the Patriots playbook. I am certainly going to think the Eagles are going to play a whole lot of cover two, at least to one side. And then you're hoping that you can maybe have a safety kind of rob over where he looks like he's playing one way and comes across the other side. because. Tua, as you said, he trusts it, and at least once a game, there is a turnover-worthy throw. That is something I think you can almost bank on just because of the way that he has to trust the offense to make it work. It's going to lead to some of those throws, and you got to be able to come down with that to kind of push them in the other direction. Yeah, it's a game, you know, based on what you said, where it would be really nice for the Eagles to have Reed Blankenship in this game because he he can do some of those things, you know, where they're playing from uh, a too high structure, but he sees something happening uh, in the middle of the field and trusts it and breaks on it. Like we've talked about plays he's made like that uh, before. We don't know if they're going to have him in this game. I mean, safety could really be kind of the from a personnel perspective, the weakest part of your roster uh, if you're the Eagles defense, which this is not the ideal week um, to have that. But uh, yeah, no, what you said makes sense. I mean, the Eagles pass rush against the Dolphins offensive line on paper should be like a big mismatch where you say, hey, just old school, you know, hit the court, get to the quarterback, win up front. The problem is Tua gets rid of the ball in 2.37 seconds the fastest time of any QB in the NFL. And this isn't like a dink and dunk offense. They're second in the NFL in 20 plus completions. This is what that kind of, I mean, they're first, they have eight plays of 50 plus yards, Sean. No other team has more than three. I mean, think about that. That That's like, that's absurd. Uh, so when you look at the Eagles pass rush, like how do you allow that to be a factor in this game? Are there, you know, because obviously in your in my head, it's like, all right, well, you have to come up with ways for Tua to hold on to the football, to get off of, you know, his first read, create some indecision. But that's easy for me to say that it's very difficult for a defense to do. Are, are there anything, are there things they can do to say, let's make sure our pass rush at least has a chance in this game? I do think you have to try and <laughs> try and do something to muddy it up on the back end, because as you said, you can win your one-on-one as a defensive lineman and the ball's already by you. And that's what the Dolphins do. And they mitigate that they're going to have a big mismatch where the Eagles defensive line is just just flat better. But I do think, you know, within the size system, there are different tools that we've already seen that I think get pulled out. They played that, that ring coverage against the Vikings where it's kind of man coverage with a half, a deep half safety over the top of the star receiver when they're outside. And then you have more of an inside safety to the other side so you're just trying to do something to muddy it up they have their 
weak side safety rotation, which they'll call cover nine, but it's it's just cover three where the safety is dropping opposite of the nickel. And the goal there, you want to change that picture just a little bit because you want to either take away those in-breaking routes or have it where two is pointing and shooting and you have a defender that ends up right there. And I mean, there's, there's just such a concern because then in the run game too, I think yeah. the defensive line is dominant. We, we really love those guys, but the Dolphins do a great job of stretching out horizontally. So uh, you got to like put just like extra grapes in the snack box for the cornerbacks because they're going to have to tackle. They're going to have to contest in some sort of way. And there's two differing philosophies on how to deal with what I just think is like really one of the best offenses of, of probably either of our lifetimes. And you can play off of them and then try and let them catch it and well, not let them catch it, but just limit them and tackle the ball in front of you or you know, you, you try and contest them. And I, I lean a little bit more towards the latter just because whatever you do, Tyreek Hill is going to run by you. So, you know, I think Sean Desai talked about physicality in one of his press conferences. What I mean, whatever you can try. I think let's get a lot of that covered too. Let's specifically look at how the Bills tweak their technique just a little bit because you're probably not going to have all those sacks where even when you have a pressure, it's not getting to Tua. Yeah, disrupting them within that five-yard zone at the line of scrimmage. That's something we saw a little. It wasn't like the, hey, people have solved the Dolphins' offense, but there was some of that from teams in like the last month of last season where that does throw off the timing of the Dolphins' offense if you can get hands on them, uh, if you can jam them a little bit and then throw off the timing and make him hold on to the football uh, a little bit. So uh, I'm with you. Like I would go into this game not like, hey, let's, you know, uh, like you're not going to force like six, three and outs in this game. They're going to get theirs. Uh, I do think you need to be opportunistic. Like I I think it's okay to take some risk here and you know what, you're probably, you might give up some big plays. That's what happens. But does it also lead to you creating some negative plays to creating some turnovers or some turnover, uh, opportunities? I think that's the right way to approach this game. This isn't like a, Hey, you know, let's make them go down, uh, put string together, long drives. Like even if you try to do that, probably at some point they're, they're going to break one. Uh, anyway, it's just too hard when they have that kind of speed on the field. So we'll see. Uh, I am in, this is a big decide game. I mean, I go into it thinking like, like if, you know, if you give up 35 points or whatever, it's kind of like, all right, that's sort of what like you could, you should kind of expect something like that. Obviously, it depends on number of possessions, but given the injuries you have on the back end and what the Dolphins' offense has done so far, that wouldn't be a, to me like, oh my gosh, panic! This defense sucks type thing. If you're able to hold them in check a little bit with this personnel, and again, we'll see who's healthy and who's not. Uh, that would be really impressive to me from Desai. All right, let's take uh, one more uh, break here. We'll come back and let's talk a little bit uh, about the other side of the football. All right, we are back on the Ringers Philly special. So uh, that's a little bit about the Eagles defense against that Dolphins offense. Other side of the ball, this Dolphins offense, this Dolphins defense has not been great by most uh, statistical metrics. Uh, I think they're gettable, I would say is the word I would use. But uh, obviously Vic Fangio was a consultant with the Eagles last year. Uh, in another world, he might be their defensive coordinator right now. We'll, we'll get to that in a, you know, when we do the next scan and watch uh, with Cliff. We don't need to do that right now. But uh, again, you have written literally the book of Fangio. Give us like the, you know, I, I don't want to say like the elevator pitch. You can be longer than that. But just what are the trademarks? Because I feel like this just now in football conversations just gets, oh, fan, oh they're running the Fangio stuff. Oh, it's the Fangio deal. Everybody, it's like, you tell us, like, what are the actual trademarks? 
of a Vic Fangio defense, and specifically the one he's coaching right now with the Miami Dolphins, and whether there's anything different that he's doing now that people don't necessarily associate with. Jill, you know that Vic Fangio is close to my heart, and his defense, it's rooted in rotation. So they'll start with that too high safety shell, and they'll rotate maybe to the nickel, or maybe they'll rotate away from the nickel. Maybe they'll rotate to a receiver or to cover two to a side, but they make everything look so similar before the snap and really have mastered the illusion of simplicity, where it looks like they're doing the exact same thing before the snap all the time, and then the safeties rock and roll and things change. And they really just want to win that first second of the snap. They want to get your quarterback to hesitate just a bit while that D-line is coming at you. And then they want to put a roof over your offense. They want to prevent those big passes. They want to make the offense, make them snap it one more time is something we heard a lot in Minnesota with Adonatel last year, where they want to force you to take checkdowns because they're betting that you're going to make a mistake on offense or lose yards on a run and set yourself back before the defense blows their coverage. And they'll make that, they'll play against the run with those light boxes. They'll make them look light. They'll rotate that safety down where it fits the same exact way as if a seventh defender is there. But now that player is coming from depth and they can you know, collect crossers on play action and they're not going to be super blitz heavy. They'll send kind of safe pressures, one that we'll see a lot. It's called slug where they send the nickel and then they'll drop the defensive end away and play cover three where you're still only rushing four. So it's kind of like a safe pressure, but blitz or no blitz, they're going to match routes. They are not going to just sit back and cover grass. They're going to pass receivers off to each other. They're going to end up with kind of like functional brackets where you have two people kind of near each other in zone coverage. And you better hope that pass rush doesn't get home. And sure, I could just go on all day. You know, Fangioism as a religion, it's it's losing a little bit of favor in the league, I would say. But you got guys like Desai, Evero in Carolina, of course, Staley and Morris in Los Angeles. They carry the torch, even if we're, we're kind of post like two high safeties being this really revolutionary thing. But I just don't think you can track the schematic history of football, especially over the last five years without former Eagles employee Vic Fangio. Yeah, there was there was the big article in uh, ESPN article in 2019 where they asked uh, McVay, Shanahan, and Lafleur separately. I think who is the hardest coordinator to go against, and they all said Vic Fangio there. And then you know, as we've seen, you you mentioned. I mean, uh, a lot of these guys probably should be paying a little commission. Phil Vic, you know, Brandon Staley probably per a percentage of his you know paycheck maybe should go to Vic uh, Fangio because that yeah he he hit at the right time where Fangio was very popular and you know I used to joke when I would write this article like uh, you know rules for hiring a head coach don't just you know hire someone because he once you know got brunch with Sean McVay or drove Bill Belichick to the airport. Like that's not necessarily how coaching works where you're just around. I mean, I'm trying to do that with you. Like I'm trying to get your knowledge to just, you know, seep into my veins so that now I can just go on the street and be talking about slug to my neighbor. But you know what? It might not work that way. I'll probably uh, screw it up at some point. So, uh, there, that was, that was honestly a I have never heard. And I'm not, and I'm like, that was like the best summation of just simple terms. Here's what Vic Fangio wants to do. Here's what he tries to do. And uh, again, I'm sure you could talk for a very long time about all the com complexities within that, but I thought that was a great overview. So the Eagles offense, knowing that, knowing what Vic Fangio wants to do, having talked to Vic Fangio, by the way, last year, you know, it, there was some confusion about whether Fangio was actually helping the Eagles defense or whether Fangio was like a consultant about, hey, here's what I would do to you guys 
on offense and so that 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 way they could be ready for that. I don't know. It's probably a little bit of both. If you're hiring Vic Fangio, you're not just going to, you know, put him in a box like that. But uh, given what the Eagles know, how what, what do you expect their game plan to be going into this game? Knowing one, Fangio, but also knowing what we talked about before that this is a game where if you can kind of shrink the number of possessions that the Dolphins, like the more possessions the Dolphins offense gets, the more likely it is that Tyreek Hill is doing a backflip in the end zone uh, on a 50 yard touchdown. So uh, not that you get carried away with that, but I do think if you can shrink number of possessions, again, it's not time of possession, it's number of possessions that I do think that that probably works uh, in your favor in this game. So what do you think about the Eagles game plan here? Yeah, you know, I think the Dolphins defense, they're still finding their footing a little bit. They're in that their first year of a new system where now players have to learn like slightly different techniques that they're used to. It's structurally different. They were under uh, Boyer and Brian Flores before, and that just can be hard on players. It doesn't help that they've had multiple injuries on the back end that have shifted things around. I think in week one, we saw the Chargers just really run the ball over and over on them. And I think that, that uh, maybe I hope that that's where the Eagles can find success. I'm going to see the return to that inside zone game. Maybe we don't drop back 40. Wait, I, I, now I'm saying we should. Maybe maybe the Eagles see? don't drop back 45 times. You're uh, going to be but, calling Sports <laughs> Talk Radio like tomorrow. I'm just going to have it on or I'm going to be waiting for my hit. And they're like, hold on, we're going to get to uh, one more call here. All right, Sean, Sean, you're on uh, 94 W. Well, you know, guys, I think that, okay. That would be funny, you know, if you did do that. <laughs> yeah, I, I do think the the run game is it's a good way. It doesn't necessarily make the offensive line's life easier, but let's let them be aggressive because I think that I like I'm really, really just got my Eagles tattoo or something now. But it lets your offensive line play the more aggressive. They don't have to worry about dropping back as much if they're having some of those issues in pass protection. You know, when we get to second and three, we convert on those second downs on the ground. You can use the structure of the defense against it. But I do think the Eagles are also going to be able to exploit one-on-ones on the outside. I'm not even sure. I think Xavier Howard also, he might be out. So I think that you can take advantage on the ground. You should feel confident in the pass game that even if they're really going to do what they can to take away your explosive, as long as the Eagles, they can stay in rhythm. Hit those 12-yard outbreakers that you were able to against the Jets. Hit those curls when A.J. Brown is threatening the receivers deep and because you really to beat this team you have to be able to keep up with them on offense because I don't think offensive coordinators are by nature the most patient people on earth and I do think Mike McDaniel I mean he said it against the Bills yeah like he they got them a little bit out of out of sorts there so you want to take the defense you know what their overall philosophies are (laughs) let's shoot we're saying it now we got to establish the run uh here and (laughs) because I think that's like that is their their weak point but then you can use that to take advantage of AJ Brown in the past game as well. Yeah, no, I, I think this absolutely is a game to run the football. You should have an advantage uh, up front. You, you know, even if you're start, like I said, we'll see if Lane Johnson uh, plays or not in this game. It sounds like uh, he has a chance here, but uh, even if not, like again, Jack Driscoll has played before and been fine before. So if you have a backup right tackle, it's not like you can't do anything uh, here. You mentioned it. Yes, Havian Howard, uh, their other cornerback, Jalen Ramsey, of course, has not played this season. He started practicing this week, but I don't think that means he's going to uh, play uh, in this game. Yeah, McDaniel already ruled him out. So um, ruled out Ramsey for this game. And then Xavier Howard did not practice on Wednesday. Now you're talking about their two top corners could potentially 
not be in this game. And then their other corner, Cater Kohu, who has been playing uh, a lot on the outside, he's got a neck injury. He was a limited participant in this game. So um, they are banged up on defense. They're 27th in defensive DVOA. They're 25th against the pass and 27th against the run. Like this to me is a, you know, your offense has to be awesome in this game. Again, there's only like, I think there are things the defense can do to, you know, kind of contain them. But like, if you're not sharp on offense in this game, if you're turning the football over, if you're going three and out, if you're not converting in the red zone, you're probably going to lose this game. This needs to be a game where a late Sunday night, we're like, oh man, like, man, this was the Eagles most efficient offensive game of the season. And I think there are pieces in place for them to be able to do that. Now uh, on the Eagles front, Devontae Smith does have a hamstring injury, uh, which I I think he did not practice on Wednesday. So it goes both ways. They signed uh, Julio Jones here, which I saw that and I was like, that's a bit of a head scratcher. I almost wondered at the time, is there an injury to one of their starting wide receivers? So I don't know if even Julio Jones would play in this game, if he'd be active uh, or whatever, but that's something to keep an eye on as we head towards Sunday. All right. Eagles win this game if, Sean, fill in the blank. What do you think? Eagles win this game if, what happens? What do you got? You know, I, I like I like your setup there. I like this because now you're trying to get me to do predictions, which, oh. you know, you do a great By job. By week nine, you'll <laughs> be giving me, well, I think they're going to cover. Uh, if you're looking at the over-under, <laughs> here's some props. You might, you're, you're just going to take over that segment for us by like week yeah. nine. <laughs> you do a great job with the picks column for the ringer. Always a fun read. I act like a downer, but I'm a team player. I'll do it. Okay, so the Eagles win the game if they scored 35 points and win the turnover margin by two which is a large, large, large ask. I think that the Dolphins offense, they're just, I'm going to tell my nephews about them when they grow up. They're able to do so, so much. And where last year you could see, okay, you know, maybe defenses are figuring out a little bit. No, no one has any answers. She'll no one has any answers. And I think that the bills were special in that they played relatively Simple things just at the absolute highest level. And, you know, against Carolina, the Dolphins are down 14. It's just, they just stay on cruise control. And then you got Tyreek Hill doing those cool celebrations. Like the only person who does cooler celebrations, I feel like, is Bryce Harper. There you go. That's, that's our, that's another Phillies, Phillies one we got, got for him. But yeah, 35 points and win the turnover margin by two, which is a crazy, crazy ask. I'm not the craziest ask, but you, you need a lot a lot to go right on a Sunday night game where unfortunately everyone's eyeballs are going to be on the Eagles game. I'm sure everyone's heard about, Oh, their offense looks a little bit off. They just lost to the jets. What's going on with these Eagles. So, you know, you you might have some fun on the radio this week. Yeah, that could be, you know, like the Eagles haven't really been in this spot the last two years where it's like, you know, they're still favorites. They're two and a half point favorites or, or two point favorites. But there is a sense of, oh, everyone's talking about this other team, huh? Like that has, they've usually been the team that everyone's like, all right, we expect the Eagles to win this game. It's been that way for two years, pretty much here. Uh, and this one is a little bit different. Yep. The total points thing is interesting uh, because, you know, they scored 20 against the Bills and then they beat the Patriots 24-17. So like, it's kind of like what we were saying earlier. So much comes down to, well, how many possessions do the Dolphins have? You know, if they have eight possessions and they score four touchdowns by any account, that's, that's a great offensive day, but that's still only 28 points. So, um, you know, so, so much of it is going to come down to kind of game script 
And can, are you able to shrink some of those possessions? I agree with you. It's like the, you know, it's boring foot every pregame show, uh, turnovers, turnovers. But we're allowed to break it out sometimes when we think it really matters. And I do think it really matters here. Because I don't think you're going to shut them down. I think you need to steal possessions uh, and take the ball away for sure. So I think great turnovers, uh, be aggressive. I don't, you know, this would not be a, uh, again, make them move the ball downfield methodically type game. And then I think if you can string together long drives, which by the way, the Eagles have done, Sean, that film, that offensive film. I mean, that first possession, I swear, took up half my day. You must have been like, why did I agree to do this? I'm only like a, th I'm barely through this film. And they've had, what was it, 19 plays? Have you seen anything like that before? That was awesome. And like I said, after <laughs> that, that drive, awesome. they do it again. I immediately, <laughs> immediately remember I had that Nike gift card. Go go right online. Because you know, it, 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 is, it is an absolute privilege to, to have this, the ability to, to do this and talk about it and i mean I, I get emotional just thinking about that we get to do it and people are so nice and i get emotional watching that offensive line when it works <laughs> and then i get emotional watching the offensive line when things aren't great so you know maybe that's just a me a me uh, as an emotional person you know if you look at any pictures from my wedding i'm just crying the whole time uh, out of happiness <laughs> but um yeah gosh it, it is nice when you have that or those games where it's like oh you don't have to watch the last 15 minutes of the film but obviously you do but it's like second string or something like yeah. that. But I, I hope this is not a game where we have to cut some of the film because we're like, oh, you know, the Dolphins are up like 21 at this point. Let's just let's just get home on time. Maybe it'll be the other way. Hey, you know, I thought you were going to say you got emotional, you know, buying the dry fit because I know how much those mean <laughs> to you. You know, you click, you finally put the credit card in and hit the purchase button and you're like, oh my God, this thing's going to be here in three to five days. I'm so excited. Listen, I'm not against an impulse buy. Listeners know I love an impulse buy. You know, sometimes... Saturday night, you just hop on the phone a little bit, or you've had a hard week. Go and you make a purchase. I'm looking at. I mean, listen, the algorithms know me so well. I mean, these these Nikes that they're showing me every day, and now this dynamic advertising, like it's almost not fair. Like, what am I supposed to do? Not buy these things? By the way, Nike's not a sponsor. If they want to be a sponsor, we've given them uh, a lot of pub here. All right, Eagles lose this game. If what is like the one thing if you're an Eagles fan, or two things where you're like, oh, I don't want to see. It play out this way because it means it's going to be a loss. Yeah, I think they lose if they play anything but their absolute best game of the season. And it's kind of lame because if they play their best game of the season, they may also lose. But, you know, the, the, I think the Eagles are favorites. Not that I would ever look at the lines, of yeah. course. And I, yeah, they're two-point favorites. Yeah, I think the Bills game maybe threw us off the Dolphins a little bit. And actually, when the Dolphins played the Bills, I think the Dolphins players said it was so loud that the offense like they couldn't hear the snap count all the time it messed with some of the motions so you know i hope that red october energy just finds itself at the link because you you need your best game plus one or two bounces so chill i mean I'll, I'll go cop out back to back there we talk about turnovers we talk about just playing your best game because i, I don't know i don't think i'm setting low like the expectations like whatever small sample size the dolphins are in this season like the offense it's studied so much week to week it is so cool to see just the exact same play picked up and another team tries to run it and then they realize, oh, we actually don't have Tyree Kill. We don't have all the details on it. And then they try and add something else in. And then it, it bleeds into college too, which is fun. I, I try not to watch too much college football. It just frustrates me a little bit. But Eagles just got they got to play their best game like plus one, plus two. There you go. All right. They do have the, I mean, they do have the edge up front on both sides of the ball, I would say, where, you know, if you're going to be a football guy, you say, hey, they got the, their pass rush should be able to win against the uh, Dolphins offensive line if Tua holds onto the ball. And on the other side of the ball, you know, they should be able to block that, that Dolphins front quite a bit and they should be able to get back to the run game 
and run the football. So uh, we'll see what happens there. Last thing I wanted to mention before we leave, Sean, there was a lot of, do you like like the, um, uh, you know, like the in-game management type stuff? Does that interest you? Or are you like, uh, sh- shut up, nerds. Let's talk about, you know, <laughs> some some coverages. Where where are you on that? I actually don't know. Okay, so I, I think I love all aspects of it. Like really everything in football, including this stuff. My, the issue that I run into is that I like, Maybe it's, I mean, that I spent three years in law school. Like I just can, you can make an argument both ways. So I think I imagine you're going to let's, why don't we queue up the, uh, that end game decision. But yeah, generally it's just like most of the times there's a really strong argument either way. Um, so let's, let's lawyer our way through this one. Oh my God. I mean, make an argument both ways. Like you don't believe in data. There is data that tells you which way is the preferable choice, Sean. Come on. You're killing me. You're killing my brand here. All right. So I'm talking about, you're right, you guessed it right, uh, the pl- end of last week's Eagles-Jets game where Mark Sanchez was going wild about, you know, Eagles let the Jets score there at the end of the game. Uh, he's saying the Jets should not have scored there. They should have gone down. Um, and so there was some question about like, well, should they have gone down? Should they have scored? Should the Eagles have let them score? Should the Eagles not have let them score? So I messaged my friend, Mike McRoberts, who does a fantastic job with championship analytics, of course, uh, Coach Flynn, Princeton wide receivers coach, you know, kind of g- g- set, set me up with this thing. This, you, this is the guy you got to go to when you got your game situation uh, question. So uh, he, of course, responded right away. And so here are some of the things he said there. So Eagles let Brees Hall score on an eight-yard uh, rushing touchdown there. Had the Eagles buckled down and gotten a red zone stop, remember the Jets had settled on four field goals earlier in the game, the Eagles would have gotten the ball back, likely down by one with 50 seconds left and no timeout. So that's one scenario. You're down by one, 50 seconds left and no timeouts. Now, in the other scenario, which is the one they had, you get it back with 146 left and two timeouts, but you're down by six. So one scenario, less time, no timeouts, but you need a field goal. Other scenario, more time, two timeouts, but you need a touchdown. So which of these scenarios is better? I mean, that's really what it comes down to. So here's their data. Over the past 10 seasons, teams to get the ball back down by one to two points with 30 seconds to a minute left have scored points on that possession 29% of the time. So this is the scenario that they did not choose where you have time left, you only need a field goal 29% of the time over the last 10 seasons, the teams come through there. Now, teams that get the ball down by four to eight points, again, you need a touchdown with 130 to two minutes left. This is the scenario that they were actually in, have scored a touchdown just 19% of the time. So listen, there's other variables in play. Uh, Mike says here in that by playing defense, you know, the Jets could have still scored a touchdown. Like you try to stop them, but maybe you don't stop them on first and second down. And now they score on third down and now you have less time and you still need a touchdown. So you have to account for that, um, you know, which would be kind of the worst case scenario. On the other hand, he says you could have forced a turnover. Maybe, you know, the Jets throw incomplete. Maybe the Jets run out of bounds when they shouldn't. There are different things that could have happened there. Maybe they have a penalty. All those things have uh, could have led to a better scenario where you're getting the ball back down by one and it's actually more time than you initially accounted for. So uh, Mike says in the end, uh, their company, again, Championship Analytics, would have said play defense in that instance, provide multiple play- ways of winning the game, gives you a higher percentage to win the game with the field goal. 
So there you go. You can't lawyer yourself out, lawyer your way out of that one. Come on. That's a great explanation right there. <laughs> Would never what use you- lawyering powers for bad ever. That's like, <laughs> you know, that is my thing. <clears throat> I will say, so I was actually, after he threw the interception, like as the ball is going to the other team, my first response was just let him score. I do think overall I am a let the other team score person. I am always, I mean, I absolutely I agree the most of the time. Yeah. yeah. I, j- just because to me, we get a signal from when, coaches make certain decisions and who they allow to run certain plays or put in certain situations where I want my offense on the field deciding the game. I know that I love like the defense can eat grass and I'm good with it. As I said, even though whatever, you don't let your kids eat grass. Surely, you know, maybe, maybe you're just better than me. Again, I don't have any kids. Maybe I should loosen up a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) I want my offense on the field there. They have their, their third and fourth cornerbacks in there. I'm confident in what my offense has done at least in parts <laughs> through the game. And, you know, yeah, the Jets can get a pass interference on the goal line. And there's obviously Real? such a big difference. And, you know, we only need to get to a certain yard line where even if our kicker missed one field goal, we, we know we love Jake the, the make on this podcast. You want to be down by one in that situation. Obviously, that Chiefs situation in the Super Bowl. Sorry to bring that up, guys. I know that most people are tuned out by now, but I'm sure that situation still stings a little bit. But the overall idea to me is, I want to like be a more active participant in the end of the game. So I want my offense to be the one deciding it as opposed to, you know, we're going to wait here or there. And when we talk through that play, there's a chance Devontae Smith comes down with that ball if Hurts throws it a little bit earlier. So one of my issues with how we just look at these things in general, it's so post hoc, it's so much whatever the result is, we feel it one way. But I thought that was awesome analysis there. Uh, And, you know, you've been running back of the Eagles. You've been the safety for the Eagles part of today get you in that in that decision making booth too you know oh my god no way i just like to you know i like to second guess you know i don't want to be doing that in the heat of the moment i'm so mentally fragile i would crack under pressure i'd give them i'd give the coach the wrong day i'd be fired like two weeks into that gig uh, if i ever got hired but i am very interested in it after the fact because i do think it's like a part of football that is evolving and like now you know fourth down decision all this stuff uh is interesting and it's also interesting to me because it's like the part i can uh relate to you know i, I can't relate to read blank and chip trying to rob that crosser uh, over the middle. I'm not getting anywhere near that ball, but yeah, being the nerd in the booth who's saying, Sirianni, go for it, you know, go for it here. Uh, I can relate to that. So uh, yeah, I thought the analysis was good. I mean, I think uh, you still are, your offense still has to win the game either way. It's kind of like, well, which one gives them uh, the better chance there? So it's funny when Solak and I talked about it in the postgame pod and just talked it through, we're like, I don't know, it kind of feels like it would be the same either. Like you can really, you know, not not to uh, say your, your lawyer thing that you can argue anything, but it did feel like one where just in my head, I'm like, I actually need to see the data because I don't have an instinct that tells me which one uh, would be better here. But uh, that that's what the Eagles chose according to one person, one analysis. Maybe that wasn't the optimal decision. All right. Is there anything else you wanted to make? And you know, don't say people aren't still listening. We have great, they, I don't get any of the metrics, but from what I have, people will listen all the way through to, to uh, this podcast. So if you have anything else you want to get off your chest, it's not like you're going to a shrinking audience. People are, are listening uh, all the way in until I, I thank Cliff. <laughs> yeah, no, no fans like Philly fans. I've, I've come to realize that. <laughs> I think just the last point on there, I think like I just, I just grew up a Madden kid and like my general vibe on those things is, like the most aggressive thing possible and i'm just confident in offenses that are able to do that like i understand the fourth down models i ju- just go for it all the time i think generally yeah, i agree obviously there's more nuance and it's not just a an every decision thing and it's easier <laughs> playing madden like i don't have to deal with those consequences uh like 
I don't have to get fired. If I'm getting fired from anything, Sheila, it's like it's it's something that you said or made me say on this podcast that <laughs> at least my bosses aren't listening at this point, <laughs> which is good. But yeah, I just think like I would prefer just teams overall like be more aggressive, right? Like the game is meant for people to score. The rules work in a favor for people to score. There's so many flags, and even if scoring is down overall this year and then you take into the account like oh well my right tackles out i'm always going to be thumbs up for let's let's you know let's get the ball back in the hands of our offense we want to be the ones that decided if we aren't able to succeed at least we know you know it was on us it wasn't something that we're just sitting there kind of helpless and that's a great way to end it because that relates to this game they're about to play this is not a game where you take the points or like this is like you need touchdowns in this game if it's fourth and three in the red zone you better have like this week, you better be preparing. I don't want to hear, well, you know, we didn't have a plan. No, no, no. This is a week. You need to go in knowing that you need to score touchdowns in this game, that you need to be aggressive. If you're near midfield, it's not a, as uh, you know, John Harbaugh has changed. I think his stripes a little bit here. I think he likes his defense a little too much. I mean, his defense is very good, but he really trusts his defense this year. But the, uh, you know, it's not, it's a field possession position game or a possession game. This is a possession game. Like if you're, if they're starting from their 18 or they're starting from their 34, it probably probably isn't going to make that much of a difference. So uh, I, I think that's a good way to end it here. All right. What do we plug it, Sean? What do we got coming up uh, this week? Have you written your column yet? Do you have to write your column after this? Is it already online? Uh, and then I know you got your uh, podcast. You had a nice video. Oh, Demi, you had a nice D'Amico Ryan's video out there that i saw yeah, so so, so plug what, what the people can find i appreciate that yeah i think the easiest way just follow at side schemes on twitter you'll see all the nonsense coming in no i haven't written my column yet i know what i'm gonna write about one of them includes slugs so we got we got that uh if if you end up letting me uh get out of here maybe i'll get to sleep on time <laughs> we'll see but also just i mean just so, like huge thank you to everyone that i love people that send dms whether it's a question and i mean i'll tell you when i have no idea about something or i don't have a good feel about something. I don't have any problem with that, but I've really appreciated people sending nice messages and questions because yeah, I mean, we're all, we're all bouncing ideas off each other all the time. And I just remember that we're in this awesome time where, where the Eagles are five and one and they're about to go on like, it's the toughest eight game stretch of any team that I've ever seen in my life. So, you know, you go four and four over those games. Hopefully we, hopefully people are still nice because it feels like our honeymoon period is officially over. <laughs> we dealt with our first post loss <laughs> podcast, but keep following me on Twitter guys. I appreciate that. There you go. Yeah, you're right. This is the first one we have to do uh, after a loss. Yeah, it's a tough stretch. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun to talk about it uh, with you because I don't think we're going to get a lot of blowouts in this stretch. I think there's going to be a lot of stuff that's going to come down to a handful of plays and people are going to be firing off takes. Well, what happened? And guess what? You're going to be the one we all trust about. No, this is actually uh, what happened here. So we're going to keep doing this every week. All right. Thank you to Sean Syed from Sumer Sports. Check out all of his work. Thank you to the great ace producer, Cliff Augustine, for producing. Uh, I am Shiel Kapadia. We will be back with Philly's post-game pods uh, later this week. Go Phils. Finish it out in Arizona. And then, of course, Sunday night, Solak will be back with me to break down this Eagles-Dolphins game. All right, everyone, uh, have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon on the Ringers Philly Special.
must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700, or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia, or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. 